You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Sob here, joined by 2019 NLC Boston fellow Evan Barry is here. We're going to be talking unions, going to be talking a little bit about his NLC experience. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get to it. Yeah, Evan, our 2022 fellows are wrapping up uh, institutes. You know, it's uh, middle of May here, and they'll probably graduate uh, if all goes well in Jan, uh, in June. Uh, what do you remember about your, your NLC experience from 2019? I remember just walking into a room of folks who all Boston is a really interesting space. Mm. I feel like it is the in other parts of the United States, people might see it as like the liberal beacon of hope. But when you're actually doing the work on the ground in Boston, you say that, hmm, we're maybe not the most progressive city. And uh, meeting other people from so many different uh, sectors and walks of life and lived experiences. It was just such a validating experience. It was, I felt like I was over my head and it was just so much learning that happened alongside my colleagues. And to this day, they are still some of the people that are my best cheerleaders and the people that I rely on for a lot of, lot of different projects and questions and personal life questions as well. <laughs> and, uh, they, they it, it all started in that one room in January back in 2019. Yeah. And are you from Boston or you'd been there a while when you did NLC? What was your kind of connection to the city? Yeah. So grew up in Massachusetts, mm. left for university, kind of hopped around a little bit and was looking for a little bit of stability. So came back to the place that I knew and um, being able to do NLC there, understanding the way that my community operated and the changes that needed to happen really equipped me with a lot of the skills and motivation that I needed to engage in some of this, you know, groundbreaking work that needs to happen within our city. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned this perception of, of Boston as a as a progressive place. I think LA suffers from this too. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of not progressive things going on in both our cities when it comes to things like housing or or racial justice or things like that. And especially when it comes to work and to unions, I know work and unions is something that you uh, spend a lot of time thinking about. Give folks a scoop on what you're up to these days. Absolutely. So I'm a communications director in the Massachusetts State Senate. And uh, yeah, as you were saying, Massachusetts is one of those places that has led in different areas of legislation nationwide. And we do have a strong union tradition here in Massachusetts. But the state legislature, and I'm sure that other folks who are listening to this across the nation who have worked in policy adjacent areas or in campaigns, um, the work of doing politics is not accessible. A lot of people cut their teeth with unpaid internships and um, by knowing a person who knows a person who can get them a job. And as a result, there's this chronic issue of a lack of professionalization that comes with legislative work, at least in the state house. So I started organizing with the Massachusetts State House Employee Union, MSHU, about three years ago in its first iteration before the pandemic. And basically, the reason that we started organizing was because we needed a seat at the table. There was a huge climate, and there still is, of um, sexual violence and harassment particularly against women and staffers of color. Um, there had just been a huge scandal where the Senate president's husband here in Massachusetts had uh, access to his staff and his resources and had used that platform to harass staffers. Mm. Um, and this climate on Beacon Hill was a really dark time. But um, on top of that, there were issues around health insurance coverage not starting on day one of employment. Um, and and staffers not getting uh, healthcare for the first 60 days of their work. Oh, wow. um, 
as well as issues with pay grades and pay standardization across Senate offices. When I started in the state Senate, my salary was 40K, and all of that went to transportation and food and medical care. Um, so, and housing, of course, <laughs> probably most of it. So, so all of this trickles down to issues of can we retain a talented and diverse workforce on Beacon Hill? Um, can we recruit and retain diverse staff uh, because of the barriers to entry to these positions? But also, how do we support people while they're in the building with diverse forms of professional development experience, with um, support from an HR structure that is disconnected from Senate and House leadership? Right now, if someone in the uh, Senate has a personnel issue, there's a chance that could make it to the Senate president's office because they're both affiliated. So it, it is... There are a lot of different issues working together here that were exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic, and we reached a breaking point as a staff and ran a union drive and um, collected over a majority of cards to create a union with the IBEW, Local 2222. But uh, because of statutory issues, we are still not recognized by the Senate president, and uh, we are waiting on her to start a good faith partnership with us to uh, recognize the will of her staff. So I think it was surprising, I don't know, maybe weird is the right word. It would seem like such a winning political issue for an elected in the state house to say, this is what I do to protect my staff, or this is what I do to create a uh, positive working environment for my staff. Why would there be reluctance for electeds to be behind this? Mm -hmm. I mean, one would think, especially in Union Blue, Massachusetts, right? Um, I think there are a few things. Number one, there. this is the first time this has happened in state history. So... The legal precedent is still unclear. I think there are elected officials who will take thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over their careers from unions. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to having one in their backyard, that can strip some of their perceived power and give it to some of their employees, the folks who show up to them, show up for work every day, the folks who deal with abuse on, on a daily or weekly basis. And um, I know we've heard from elected officials who are concerned, does this mean I can't hire my own staff? Um, because, you know, as an elected, you want to have a trusted confidant in your office or multiple, depending on the size of your staff. Uh, and how much agency does that take away from elected official? But it's, it's not a question of, you know, will we stay on between uh, folks winning and losing their elections. It's making sure that we have dignity and support and respect while we are doing our service with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, and a well-supported staff means a better supported boss. And if we can thrive in our workplace, commit decades of service on Beacon Hill, if we are talented and, and want to be picked up by, by senators and representatives, um, that is better for our laws. That is better for the constituents we serve, um, and it helps end this brain drain of maybe one or two years that a lot of staff just get really fired through, um, causing a huge loss of talent within the legislature. Yeah. We go back with Evan. We'll talk more about the union issue in the state and also think about what's happening on this issue nationwide. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, Evan, I feel like this issue has picked up steam maybe in the last 12 to 18 months, maybe because of COVID, like you were mentioning a little bit too. I, I feel like I see AOC tweeting about it. I know uh, there's a infamous popular, I don't know what you want to call it, Instagram account uh, for Hill staffers where they're documenting a lot of the wild and crazy working conditions they have to suffer through. Is there 
uh, coordinated effort at all happening between states when different state houses are trying to do the work that you're doing? Or is there even something with uh, kind of a national lens to make this more successful? What are the things you'd want people to know there? Absolutely. So we are in contact with our colleagues on um, on Capitol Hill down in D.C. who are, in fact, this week they announced that the resolution that they were trying to work with House leadership on to finally go to the floor to recognize their union is, is going to have a vote, I think, within the next week. So we've been talking with them about coordinated media strategy. I know I've gotten outreach because um, of the media interviews that I've been doing. Uh, I, I got a outreach from another staffer in another state saying, hey, I want to do the same thing here. Can we talk? Um, but we've seen similar efforts. There was a successful one in Oregon. There's a successful one in Colorado. Um, Washington State is currently undergoing a similar process as well. Um, so these are questions that a lot of staffers are dealing with. And in fact, in the last uh, election cycle, um, I know on the Elizabeth Warren campaign, the um, Bernie Sanders campaign, and here in Massachusetts, the uh, Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy campaigns, all of these folks, I think AOC as well, all of their staff are realizing we are just laid out to dry, uh, like dirty laundry when it comes to the election cycle and mm -hmm. our rights are compromised. We don't necessarily have that many protections instead of in, in terms of sick days or vacation days or um, the hours that we are forced to work on campaigns. And, and this is just a larger issue of culture, the work culture within politics that also carries over into the legislature when there's a lack of standardization or professionalization of these roles. So um, it is definitely happening nationwide. The extent to which it is coordinated, I think we are working on that here in Massachusetts to build a national profile for um, political staff who are trying to make these workplace changes. Um, but it is, it's an exciting time. I mean, unions are, are on the rise again. I feel like every single week we see something in the news about what other union is being recognized or had a successful election. Um, and it's time that political staff do the same thing, frankly. Yeah. Well, I was saying, what's the best way for folks to follow along with, with your work or to be supportive? Absolutely. So uh, I would say if, if you want to follow along, go to Twitter and follow us at Beacon Hill Union, all one word, obviously it's Twitter. Uh, you can also, um, if you're here in Massachusetts, reach out to your state senator and state representative and see um, if they support the Massachusetts State House Employee Union. And Talk to the folks in your state. See what's <laughs> happening in your legislature. If you're working on a campaign, talk to your colleagues and see if you deserve the protection of a union. I think any worker who uh, would like the protection and support of a union deserves it. And this is the time to do it if you, uh, if you want to ensure that you and your colleagues um, get some extra support in the workplace and, and combat some of these bigger systemic issues that we see in politics, but in any other workplace as well. I would love to see this in the nonprofit sector. I would love to see this in, uh, in, I mean, I think our perception of what a union is and who can have one is changing. And I think anyone should explore the idea if they so choose. Well said. We'll put a lot of the information into the episode description. Make sure to check that out. And Evan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. Make sure to Catch all our episodes. We've been dropping the last couple months here, usually about two a week of NLC alums doing amazing work across the country. Get those all the places you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at the Zag Podcast. Until next time, we will catch you soon. 